Oh, great God. All glory be to Christ. As we open your word today, as we consider the words that Christ spoke, may all glory be to Christ. May we grow in the grace and knowledge of of him the one who was for sinners slain. Thank you, Father, for your spirit that will be at work in your people. I thank you for the way you will you will transform our lives by the renewal of our minds. We're thankful and we're hopeful. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, Grace Fellowship Church. Something that you probably hear from me most every time my wife is out of town and returns is it is not good for man to be alone. Uh, I, uh, I, I, am, I am thankful for the time that my wife was away and um, the time she had to be with Tanner and Taylor and Casey and Linda and Jack. Uh, and I'm thankful for the opportunity it gave Sophia to, to step up and Evie was over and they could take on the duties of womanhood and I'm thankful for the opportunity to do that uh, but it was it is it is look God's providence causes things to happen in lives and we might lose a spouse or people might be alone and and not be but but for a family a, a father and a mother a husband and a wife it works it, it, it works and I'm thankful for the reminder that it works and it does not work all that well when you take one of those pieces out. Um, so it makes me thankful for my wife and thankful for God's design for our family. And so kind of a, you know, kind of a long week. We have Kenny and other stuff, so lots going on in my world. And so I'm sitting in my chair after supper, uh, ready to do nothing, really. Uh, probably well, what I was going to do was turn on a, a uh, fearless podcast or a Steve Dace podcast and watch that. And my son, Jonathan, says to me, Hey, Dad, you want to go with me and pass out tracks at the fair? I'm like, hmm. Mm. I think literally that's what I did. Uh, mm. I mean, how do you say no and how do you stay in your chair and say yes? And um, it was it wasn't a long time. I don't know what son a minute of contemplation, forty five seconds maybe. But it was it was it was convicting to me that I even contemplated and hesitated that long. And I was very thankful we got to go out and pass out tracks, and I don't know how many we. <laughs> We dug him out of mom's car in the back of his trunk and from my downstairs and scraped together as many as we could. And I don't know, we probably came up with two, three hundred, four hundred. I don't even know. But we scraped a bunch together and went up there and distributed tracks. And I don't know, 30 minutes, we got rid of all of those tracks. Uh, and it was it was encouraging to watch my to watch my son uh, zealously and <laughs> got back in the car to go home. And we had some like 12. Pride tracks. I think there's perhaps 12 pie tracks sitting in my dashboard from when we were at uh, 
eating. And oh, like, Dad, there's more tracks. I'm like, we're going home. No, no, I can get rid of these in no time. So I pull in Quick Star's parking lot and let him out, and he goes and gets rid of the other 12 tracks. Um, and I, I just, I just, I don't, I tell you that because um, I'm just thankful. I'm thankful for um, my son's desire to do that. I'm thankful for the conviction that God brought into my life of me not wanting to do that and the, the selfishness that is in my own life about things like that. And then the, the, the getting rid of all of those tracks. And um, just very thankful. I was spurred on to loving good works. And I, I, I would, you know, it, it got me thinking. I talked about the Tony this morning. Uh, I don't know. Well, I know why we're not there. We didn't make any announcement to be there, make any effort to be there. But as far as distributing tracks, I don't know of a, a more efficient place to do that. Uh, literally, I mean, literally in an hour, I can't count the thousands of people that walked into these three entrances. I mean, just one after the other after the other, just continually walking in and not necessarily eager to take a track, especially they see what it was, but many of them eager to take a track. And, and I think that, um, you know, as a church family, we, we have had a lot of things we've gone to do as evangelistically parades and um, the fair and things in the past and uh, ball games and uh, my encouragement is uh, make efforts to be part of whatever it is we do. And don't be like me sitting in your chair literally with really nothing to do but be lazy uh, and relax um, and, and miss the opportunity to proclaim the gospel and, and, and the encouragement that will be, at least it was to me last night. Okay, turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 11 and... I, I say turn your Bibles, and some of you will, and some of you get on your phones and turn there, and some of you won't. Something I used to say 10 years ago that I'm going to say again is I would encourage you to bring your Bibles. We've gotten in the habit of printing out the Scriptures on a piece of paper because um, I go fast through Scripture sometimes. We recognize that, so we put them all in, in one place. Uh, but, but my encouragement would be turn to the passage at hand in your hard copy Bible and even have a pen and be ready to make some notes. Uh, that that it might minister to you more. So before I read today's passage, I, I want to I want to make a statement. I want to want to say this about this passage today. It is better to be immoral than to be moral without Christ. It is better to be immoral than to be moral without Christ. This is true for individuals. It is true for individual people, and it is true for groups of people. Okay, please stand, and I will read verses 24 through 26 of Luke 11. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person... It passes through waterless places seeking rest, and finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. 
You may be seated. I've titled this message, Reformation Without Christ is Useless and Dangerous. I literally spent 30 minutes trying to come up with a title, and then I changed it, and I went back and changed it, and I don't even know. So uh, another title could have been Reformation Without Transformation Brings Greater Trouble. The Danger of Behavior Modification. And that was the title of the sermon I preached many moons ago in the book of Matthew in a similar passage. Morality more dangerous than immorality. Could have been another title for this sermon. There's a, there's a, there's a religion of moralism uh, in, in the world around us. And it, it, Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons, Roman Catholics, even proclaimed atheists or secular humanists, they have a religion of moralism. Uh, my breakfast partner friends that I've told you about, I, w- I was thinking about that this week. Uh, Sacco, Glenn, he's a Mormon, has been since we were in high school. Ricky is a Jehovah's Witness that was when he was in high school because his mother and grandmother were, and then he didn't practice at all and then became back active as a Jehovah's Witness maybe 10 years ago, 12 years ago. Uh, Craig is a professing agnostic or thinks there's a God, but not the God of the Scriptures. And what's interesting is these those three men are extremely relatively moral men. They have been since high school. In high school, that group, we didn't drink. Uh, so these men still to this day, they don't use alcohol, any of them. I was the one that went away and acted different. Um, they... They are, they're all faithful to their wives. Uh, they're all, um, they're not perfect, but they're relatively moral men. And they have uh, had periods of time in their lives where they've had to gussy themselves up a tad. But, uh, but they are, they are, and their religions, their religions play right into that, that way of thinking. You know, Jehovah's Witnesses is a, is a works-based religion. Mormonism is a, is a works-based religion. and um, Roman Catholicism, which we don't have in that group, but it's a works-based religion. These all, all three of these friends of mine, they're, they're in grave danger, and they don't even know it because they're really pretty good guys. They're, they're, they're comparably good men. They are, they are trusting in their own ability to clean themselves up and beautify themselves. And, and they think that makes them fine with the God, the small g gods they worship. Uh, we, can, we can see this, this draw towards morality and this Christian nationalism thing that's going on, this draw to a, a morality of a nation to make the nation more moral. A morality that would, would come by Judeo-Christian laws and practices. The problem is that reformation without Christ and the, the Holy Spirit indwelling is useless and dangerous. And that's what we're going to see in today's passage. Uh, we're going to come back to that, what I just talked about after a little bit of a brief side trail. It's, it's not the main point of the text, but I think it's something that comes up that we, we want to we deal with. 
unclean spirit, unclean spirits and dwelling unbelievers. So, verse 24, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places, seeking rest and finding none. I will return to my house from which I came. Unclean spirit, akathartas, is unclean. It means a created supernatural being that's rebellious and hostile to God. Uh, Numa is spirit. So this unclean, this 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 dirty, unclean spirit. An unclean spirit going out of a person presupposes that it was in the person. That's that's obvious, yes? We see a number of examples of demons or unclean spirits possessing people in Luke's gospel. In Luke chapter 4, verse 31, And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him, to him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. So we see this unclean spirit exercised by Jesus. Luke six seventeen, And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples. And a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and be healed of their disease. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits, akathartos, pneuma, were cured. Many were troubled with unclean spirits. They were cured by Jesus in Luke 8. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes. He had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the akathartas pneuma, unclean spirit, to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break his bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. So we see here the unclean spirits, 2,000 or so of them, left this man, and they begged not to be sent into the abyss. But they, they were in him. They, these demons, these, these unclean spirits were in these people, and they were brought out by Jesus. Luke 9.37, on the next day when they had come down from a mountain, a great crowd met him, and behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. Down to verse 42, while he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him, but Jesus rebuked the akathartas pneuma, the unclean spirit, and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. So we see unclean spirits. We see demonic possession throughout Jesus' ministry. That's pretty clear. But, but do unclean spirits continue after Jesus ascends? Or were they just there because we know why the miracles were done? They were done to, to affirm or confirm Jesus was God. He was the Messiah. Look at Acts 5.16. This is after Jesus ascended. The people also gathered from towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits. Akathartas pneuma. And they were all healed. Acts 8, 7, for unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So unclean spirits continued to exist and live inside of and control to some extent people after Christ's ascension. 
We know what Paul says in Ephesians concerning the control of Satan and his demons. Ephesians 2, 2, in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at, the work in, at work in the sons of disobedience. In Ephesians 6, finally be strong in the Lord and strength of his might. Put on then the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For you do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. These, there, there continues to be this war between, between God's people and, and the devil and his minions uh, for the souls of the control of people. So, so we, we've talked about this before, but to this day, either a child of God or a child of the devil, and, and we are influenced, we're influenced or in the control of, if you will, the Spirit of God, if we are God's people, or we are, we are controlled by the flesh or by the devil and th- these unclean spirits. Now, the level to with which they, they possess someone can vary. You can visually see somebody who's very demonically oppressed and others more lightly, but it's clear that we still have this to this day. So, so back to the text. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. That's, that's just a, a word picture Jesus is giving in this parable. Uh, it passes, passes through waterless places seeking rest. In other words, it has no place to, to get nourished. It has no place to, to live. And finding it none, it says, I return to my house from which I came. So, so like those pigs that eventually went into the pigs in the, in the country of the Gerizines, these unclean spirits look to inhabit created beings. And, and this particular unclean spirit was, was inside of this, this man. And when, when Jesus, when, 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 sorry, in the parable, when he came out, when the demon went out, he had no place to really dwell, so he went back to his house. So while he was gone, it was still his house. It, it, was, it was where he, he belonged. Everyone, again, either under the control of God or via our Lord Jesus Christ, or we're, and we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, or we're under the control of the flesh of Satan of unclean spirits. So, so Jesus tells this, this parable. But in order for this parable to make sense, it needs to be connected to the words he just spoke. Again, this is all, we broke it up in weeks because we break up this, the, the passages so we don't preach so much, but this is all connected to what we've looked at over the last couple of weeks and certainly last week. So starting in verse 14, Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. So there was Akhlas. There was a big group of people. Jesus Jesus, uh, had the demon come out of this mute man, and the mute man spoke. And the the Akhlas, the people, the masses, they marveled. But some of them, some of them, a small group of them, scribes and the Pharisees, said, He cast out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. So these religious elite claimed he was casting out demons by Beelzebul, by the Lord of Dung. And some were saying, show us more signs. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you can say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? 
Therefore, they will be your judges. Jesus says, look, it makes no sense. Why would I, if I was being controlled by the the Lord of Dung, Satan, if I was doing that, why would I cast out demons? I'd be fighting against myself. That makes no sense. And oh, by the way, you have Jewish exorcists who go out and claim to be doing exorcisms on behalf of God for his people. They certainly will judge you for saying that's done by the power of Satan. Then he says this, But if, and remember since or because, it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Because I do this by the finger of God, the kingdom of God has come upon you. Here is the kingdom of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And then he tells this parable. When a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides the spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. So, so the devil is indeed very strong. He has a grip on people that he holds on to, and no one can break out of that unless until the stronger one, Christ Jesus, comes and rescues him and takes away his spoil. And either you are under the control of Satan or Christ has rescued you. That's that's what he's saying in this parable. And he then immediately goes into what we're going to look at next. So he's now going to deepen with another parable what he's already explained. That is either you're with me or you're against me. There is no neutrality when it comes to Christ. So, um, Verse 24, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places, seeking rest and finding none. It says, I'll return, return to my house from which I came. Now, in Matthew's gospel, it's a different happening. Again, it was in Galilee, not in Judea, and it was months earlier. But there he gives a few more words that make make this make a little more sense. Then it says, I'll return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, when the Spirit comes back, finds the house empty. So, the house is empty. So in the parable, when the unclean spirit leaves and goes out looking for a place and can't find one, when he comes back, he finds this person or this house, his dwelling place, empty. There is no unclean spirit in him. There is no Holy Spirit in him. There is simply this man who is who is the home of a devil, of a demon, of an unclean spirit. But right now, there's nothing in him controlling him. It's simply empty. He's left to his own devices. He's, he's, so he's left to his own devices. The house is empty. So this is, this is maybe like, I, don't, I couldn't think of a really, but, but an alcoholic who decided, it was, okay, it was me. I decided on my own, I'm done being an adulterer. God had not saved me. The Spirit did not indwell me. Christ was not in me, but I had made a decision. I was going to clean up and gussy up. And this happened multiple times in my life. And it'll fit with what happened here, but 
it just kept getting worse and worse. But, but at first, the demons that were in me or the, the unclean spirits that controlled me may have been out of me because I was cleaning up and it wasn't a good place for them to hang out. Or the alcoholic that decides I'm going to stop drinking and goes to AA. On his own device, he's going to, he's going to clean up, gussy up. This is a, this is a person who has is, who is found a, a works-based way of making his life better pulling himself up by the bootstraps. <laughs> if, if you think about it, and, and this is a personal issue. It's talking about a person here. But if you expound that to persons, <laughs> uh, well, we overturned Roe versus Wade. Hey, we got a heartbeat bill, so we only kill fewer babies now. We've gussied up a little bit. Got things a little cleaner, more cleaned up, but it's Christless. It's useless. So this person is not being controlled by, by an unclean spirit, and, and he's working to reform and uh, and rehabilitate himself. He finds the house empty under no direct control. This is not a person who has been rescued by Jesus. The Holy Spirit is not living. In him, the house is empty. He's not being controlled. He's just on his own. This is a person who is practicing self-empowered morality. Back to Luke 25. And when it comes, it, the unclean spirit comes back, it finds the house swept and put in order. Swept. This word means to sweep with a broom. That's what the word means. So this person is, is currently under no direct control of an unclean spirit, no, no control of the Holy Spirit. He is simply on his own cleaning up his life, sweeping up his mess, getting the dust removed, and put in order. The word there is cosmeo. Cosmeo is where we get the word cosmetics, and it means to beautify, make attractive, decorate, dress, put in order. To cause something to be beautiful by decorating. So the picture is this unclean spirit leaves this man and this man is left to his own devices and so he starts cleaning up his life. He starts gussing up his life and beautifying himself. Decorating himself. Making himself look better. Improving his life. Behavior modification. This this person is self-reliant in cleaning up and covering over his flaws. Again, it was me trying to stop being an adulterer to try to clean that mess up myself. It just got worse and worse. It's the the drug addict who quits on his own, but not by the power of Christ and relapses even worse. Or, Or continues in victory and counts on himself for that victory all the way to his death. Now, Judaism was a religion led by the Pharisees, the scribes, of self-imposed rules and laws, extra-biblical rules and laws that they had imposed on themselves in order to clean themselves up, to make them want themselves and their nation right with God. They had these rules that they were living by, and they expected their nation to live by to gussy it up, to make it look okay, but it was Christless. It was legalism. It wasn't empowered by God, but it was empowered by legalist demands. 
So, these Pharisees, they were the pinnacle of cleaned up lives. Yes? They had, they had, they had, they, they had a moral example that these Jews would follow. They had, we've talked about this in years past, but things like on the Sabbath, they could toss something up with one hand, but they could not catch it with the other. As long as they used one hand, it wasn't work. But if they used both hands, it was work. And, and this was the example of morality that had been being lived out in front of the Jews. And this is how they would gussy up and clean up. And it wasn't Christ-centered. It wasn't even God-centered. It was man-centered. And it was done in their own power by their own laws. Laws based on Judeo principles. Extrapolated out into more laws. So here's what Jesus says in Matthew 5. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. The Pharisees' self-empowered morality, their their law-driven righteous living was not enough to enter heaven. Okay? The Pharisees were the pinnacle of righteous living. And he tells them, you got to do better than that. What they would have heard is, wait a minute, you can't do any better than that. Well, better get some more Mishnah, better get some more rabbis, better get some more learning, because that's the pinnacle. Matthew 23, 25, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may also be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and uncleanness. This was the result of Judaism. The result of Judaism was dead men who looked beautiful. This is the parable that he's telling. An unclean spirit leaves. This man then gussies himself up. Through self-will, he becomes much more moral. Dead. Still the home of a demon that just happens to be flying around somewhere else. Not empowered, not indwelt with the Holy Spirit, not in Christ, not Christ not in Him, simply self-empowered morality. Headed to hell, and yet convinced they were okay were these Pharisees. So, back to Jesus' parable. And when it comes, when the Spirit comes back, it finds the house swept and put in order. So, this man has been mute. He's been controlled by a demon. This unclean spirit goes out of him. So then he tells this parable, look, here's somebody, unclean spirit leaves. When it's gone, this man of his own doing cleans up his life, becomes more moral, trusts in his own cleanliness, Trust in his beautification. Trust in his efforts to make himself better. And what then happens? Not only does this unclean spirit come back, he brings seven more, even more evil than himself. You think the guy was bad off before with one unclean spirit? When he gussied himself up and cleaned himself up and trusted in his own morality... Now all hell breaks loose. Now seven more, even more evil come 
back into this, this man. And they dwell there. The, the, the empty, self-empowered, gussied up, much more moral person who's unprotected by Christ is now way worse off than he was before. Jesus is saying that the person who tries to be moral of their own efforts will invite even more demonic possession. Even if that person remains relatively moral, their trust in the morality is eight demons inside of them taking them straight to hell. Or if it's the if it's a drug addict that gushes himself up and then eight more, seven more come back more evil and he lapses even further and ends up killing himself with drug addiction. Or the adulterer who, who has a girlfriend every now and again and ends up having a three and a half year affair that happened almost every week as they try to gussy themselves up. They're opening themselves up to even more demonic possession. Whether it manifests itself in more sin you can see or it manifests itself in more self-reliance heading you on a path to hell that you can't escape. There's no neutrality concerning Jesus. Either he has rescued you and has sent the Holy Spirit to indwell you, to empower you, and to seal you and protect you, or you're open to demonic possession at increasing levels. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. This this was me for a couple of years trying to be, maybe more than that, going to a cult in Chicago once a week, trying to be a better person, trying to gussy myself up, trying in my own power to be good enough. And it just got worse and worse and worse. You know, the... AA, just replace one addiction with another. And think because you don't have the bad one, now you have a better one. You're okay with God because you've gussied yourself up and you're trusting in that and you're headed to hell. This person who's who's modifying their own behavior, trusting in their own ability to live righteous lives, are in dire trouble. The state of that person is worse than it was when he just had one unclean spirit. And by the way, when he had that unclean spirit, you can tell from the text, he probably knew he was in trouble. He knew he was a sinner because as soon as that was gone, he's trying to gussy his life up. He's trying to do better. He's trying to clean himself up. Christless behavior modification is useless and can be deadly. It's useless. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven 
other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there, and that last state of that person is worse than the first. Look at Second Peter 2, verse 20. For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So, if somebody gets the, the knowledge of, their Lord and, of, the Lord, of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and they escape the defilements. Okay. I'm not being as controlled as I was. I have this desire to clean myself up. I know the laws these scribes and Pharisees tell me. Let me try to live by those laws. I know they're right and good because they come out of the Bible, so let me go be moral. They're again entangled in them and overcome. Their morality ceases after some time, and they go right back to whatever it is they were doing before. The last state has become worse for them than the first. They're in worse shape than they were to start with. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Everyone who thought the way of righteousness was something they could achieve on their own, when they go and and try to live a holy moral life without Christ, all it does is takes them into a place of a worse predicament than they were in before because they will return to it and they have no hope. When they return to it, which one of you can say you've never sinned in the ways you used to sin, even minorly? Of course we have. But the person who's trusting in their own cleanup They have no hope. Their hope is in their own morality. Their hope is not in Christ. It is better to be immoral than to be moral without Christ. For a person and for a nation. For a group of people. Everyone who knows that the way of righteousness, trusting in Christ alone, and having, having, having Him save you from your sins and empower you and give you new life in Him. The person who, who knows that and yet tries to return to, or tries to, to count on their own gussing themselves up is just putting themselves in a worse position than they were before. Luke 5.30, and the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Those who know they are sinners know they cannot clean themselves up. They know they cannot beautify themselves. They don't put any hope in cleaning themselves up and beautifying themselves. They know they can't do any works themselves. Now the one the one who believes they're good enough or can can follow their legalistic rules, the, the commands of God, 
follow those well enough to be right with God is doomed, is condemned. Luke 18.10, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I don't do bad stuff, says the Pharisee. I don't extort. I don't, I don't, I'm not an adulterer. I'm not unjust. I mean, I don't tax, take taxes from my people. I fast twice a week. Look what I do. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. I have swept up and cleaned up myself. I follow the law. I'm good. Thank you, God. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Be merciful. I need Jesus Christ. I cannot modify my behavior enough to satisfy your demands. I need Christ. I cannot gussy myself up. Have mercy on me. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across the sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourself. These Pharisees were propagating a life that would lead anyone who followed them straight to hell. They were propagating, they were teaching a life of gussing yourself up, be moral, live by the law. This life of self-empowered, Christless behavior modification. It's what Jehovah's Witnesses do, it's what Mormons do, it's what Roman Catholics do. A Christless behavior modification where their hope is in their penance or their hope is in, the, in, the, in, the, in the, their, their efforts for the kingdom. Their hope is working hard enough to be one of the 144,000. Their hope is in do all they can and then after you do all you can, may the grace of God come. The church's message, brothers and sisters, can never be morality. Hear me on this. We're in the middle of something going on right now where people are confused by this greatly. The message of the church can never be morality. Morality makes people double sons of hell. Chasing after morality as a religion, as a way to get right with God, will make them a double son of hell. Morality opens up the door for more demons. Self-empowered morality simply opens you up for more demons. Unbeliever. The church's message can never be morality. Morality makes people double sons of hell. We have a man here who has an evil spirit. This leaves him. In the context of this, maybe by some false exorcism of one of the Pharisees, but we know it leaves him. And, and he cleans himself up and he beautifies his life. 
this man isn't safe. The only way he'd be safe is if the strongest one had saved him. If the strongest one had inhabited him and indwelt him and sealed him with the Holy Spirit. If not that, you're not safe. When someone reforms their own behavior, it is a pleasant change. Okay, let me make sure you understand what I'm telling you here. When someone becomes more moral, or when a society becomes more moral, it's a pleasant change. It, 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 it makes life more peaceful and better. But the self-empowered moral man is worse off than before. Country, Ricky, Craig, Sacco, these are moral men that make the world around them a better place. This world around them a better place because they're moral. They work hard to clean their lives up and beautify themselves. And they're worse off. They're, they're doomed unless they turn from trusting in themselves and look to Christ. And they could come in here and teach. They'll teach me morality all day long. They'll help me see where I'm falling short of some moral standard. In Craig's case, it's one he's made up in his own mind. But the other ones have a Bible and a book they go by. You know, Jesus had no problem reaching who? The prostitutes, the murderers, the thieves. Who couldn't he reach? Not couldn't, didn't in God's providence. The religious, moral people the Pharisees and the scribes. Those who had the highest standard of righteous living anywhere. They had no need for Christ. They, they thought their efforts to clean themselves up and beautify themselves was good enough for God. God, God doesn't require morality to enter into his kingdom. He requires repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Hear me. God does not require morality to enter into the kingdom of heaven. He requires repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Don't preach morality. That's not our message. You can preach morality if you're going to use it to point someone to their need for Jesus. But don't preach morality in and of itself. You're just making them double sons of hell. Don't teach your children morality. Yes, tell them of God's standards. Yes, tell them of God's law. Yes, tell them this is the way they ought live. But let them know they need Christ because they aren't moral. And they can never clean themselves up or gussy themselves up enough. And if they think they can, they're double sons of hell. Improving a person's or a nation's morality does have temporal limited value. It does. Hear me. Improving a person's morality or a society's morality or a nation's morality based on God's standards, it has a temporal 
limited value. But making a person or a society more moral will not and cannot bring the blessings of God. Making a person or a society more moral will not and cannot bring the blessings of God. But we think it can sometimes, don't we? We think we can make our society more moral that will bring blessings of God. It cannot and will not. God's blessings, which are a spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, is via salvation. Prosperity? Maybe. Whatever prosperity does drives many people farther away from God. An outwardly moral person or society, an outwardly swept up, cosmetically enhanced person or society will not escape the same judgment that falls upon murderers, and adulterers, and thieves, and pedophiles. They will have the same judgment as the Pharisees, the scribes, and the nation of Israel. Outwardly, outward morality without Christ is useless and dangerous although it brings some temporal benefit. It's a tasty morsel that seems like something we should be after. We must be preaching salvation via Jesus Christ, not preaching personal or societal moralism through human efforts or laws. We must be preaching salvation via Jesus Christ, not preaching personal or societal moralism through God's laws or man's efforts. Do you know the law cannot make one moral? It can only be our tutor to Christ. You cannot legislate holiness. Holiness is found in and through Jesus Christ only. The gospel Morality is not the gospel. Has nothing, well, it has everything to do with the gospel. You can't be. Self-improvement is not the gospel. Self-empowered behavior modification is not... It's, it's, it's anti-gospel. Moralism produces sinners who are probably potentially better than better behaved than they were before. Moralism produces sinners who are probably and potentially better behaved than they were before. However, moralism, moralism was never the message of Jesus Christ, never the message of the Old Testament prophets, and never the message of the New Testament apostles. Never the message of the Bible. Not even national moralism. Not even statewide moralism. Not even familial moralism. Not even that. 
closing thought. Reforming one's life to be more moral is useless and very dangerous. The self-empowered moralist is open to demonic activity that takes them even deeper into sin. Doing better or being more moral has nothing to do with the saving of one's soul by the strongest one, Jesus Christ. Here's my closing, closing thought, which I started the day with. It is better to be immoral than moral without Christ. It is better to be irreligious than religious without Christ. It is better to be irreligious and be a Mormon or Jehovah's Witness or Roman Catholic. Reformation without Christ is useless and dangerous. Father, thank you for the clarity of your word. Thank you for the clarity of the scriptures that that help us to see that the only hope we have is Christ and we are either being led by our father, the devil, or being led by you. We're either indwelt with your spirit or we have, we have unclean spirits in us. At best, they go away for a while, giving us an opportunity to gussy ourselves up. Father, help us to know that Christ is our only hope. Morality is not our hope. Behavior modification is not our hope. Our hope is in Christ. Help us to be a people who preach that gospel. That we not fall into a pattern of a different gospel. Christ plus the law. Christ plus morality. Christ plus anything. Father, thank you that for those who you have saved, the strongest one has come and taken possession of his bride. And we cannot and will not be taken from your hand. Father, for anyone who's trusting in their own Performance. Even the brethren who are struggling with sin, who, who, who rightly are wanting to put things into their lives to, to, to point them towards holy living. Father, may they remember their only hope is Christ, not in their new behavior. That those behaviors only be, only be, be, be empowered by a love for Christ because He loves us. That morality is never a way to be made right with you, that it's Christ and Christ alone, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing hymn 181, His Robes for Mine. 181, His Robes for Mine.